This evening for our scripture reading, we're going to turn to the book of John, and we're going to begin reading with John 18, verse 28. John 18, verse 28, we'll be reading also into John 19. Then led they Jesus from Caiaphas unto the hall of judgment, and it was early, and they themselves went not into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Pilate then went out unto them and said, What accusation bring ye against this man? They answered and said unto him, If he were not a malefactor, we would not have delivered him up unto thee. Then said Pilate unto them, Take ye him, and judge him according to your law. The Jews therefore said unto him, It is not lawful for us to put any man to death, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled which he spake, signifying what death he should die. Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again, and called Jesus, and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, <clears throat> Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it thee of me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight, that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Every one that is of the truth heareth my voice. Pilate saith unto him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews, and said unto them, I find in him no fault at all, but ye have a custom that I should release unto you one at the Passover. Will ye therefore that I release unto you the king of the Jews? Then cried they all again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe and said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they smote him with their hands. Pilate therefore went forth again. And saith unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you, that ye may know that I find no fault in him. Then came Jesus forth, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate saith unto them, Behold the man. When the chief priests therefore and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Take ye him, and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and by our law he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. 
When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was the more afraid, and went again into the judgment hall, and saith unto Jesus, Whence art thou? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then saith Pilate unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee, and have power to release thee? Jesus answered, Thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. And from thenceforth Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Whosoever maketh himself a king speaketh against Caesar. And what follows now is our text. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in the Hebrew, Gabbatha. And it was the preparation of the Passover and about the sixth hour. And he saith unto the Jews, Behold your king. And they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then delivered he them, he him therefore unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. We read that far in God's word. As I said, we consider those last four verses leading to the crucifixion of Jesus. This evening, beloved, we consider the great significance of the trial of Jesus before Pontius Pilate. And the great significance of that is that it fulfills, it represents really the fulfillment of that which was prophesied in Isaiah 53 verse 3 that the Messiah would be despised and rejected of men. We have been considering at this season of Lent that despising and rejection of Jesus as it is seen in various ways near the end of his life. We noted some of that, but It comes to fulfillment and to its cheapest expression under the trial of Pontius Pilate. There the utter contempt, the despising and rejection of Jesus really comes to its head. This is often or sometimes forgotten because there is other significance to the trial of Jesus under Pilate. Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 15, notes that he suffered under Pontius Pilate as judge that he, being innocent and yet condemned by a temporal judge, might thereby free us from the severe judgment of God to which we were exposed. And notes, thereby, I am assured he took on him the curse which lay upon me for the death of 
of the cross was accursed of God. That certainly is part of the significance of his trial under Pilate. It is what explains his death, the accursed death on a cross, and also shows his innocent personally. But the point of the trial is that Jesus is not simply condemned, but there we see how utterly despised and rejected he is. And then, not simply by Pilate, but by all men. There at the trial, it is not only Pilate who shows his despising rejection of Jesus, but the whole Roman world that he represented. And there we see also the despising and rejection of him, not only by Pilate and the Roman world, but by the Jewish leaders and the people that they represent. And the people they represent join in the condemnation of Jesus and their demand that He be crucified. The fact that this is a fulfillment of prophecy, namely Isaiah 53, verse 3, also shows and sets forth here the utter sovereignty of God and the utter sovereignty of God as carried out by Jesus Himself. The apostles themselves later on take note of this, that what was being done was whatever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. Acts 4 verse 28. The significance of all this for us is not only that we are included in the all men who despise and reject the Messiah, but because of the very despising and rejection of the Messiah, we are received and accepted of God. That too belongs to the significance of Christ being despised and rejected of men. Consider that with me this evening. Despised and rejected of men. We notice in the first place the fact of that, then the significance, and finally the blessing of that. First, the fact. When we of the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate. The explanation for that is that the Jews had refused to enter into the judgment hall of Pontius Pilate lest they be defiled by being in a Gentile building and thus being unable to eat the Passover. This, in part, may explain why the most comprehensive narrative of the events inside that judgment hall occur in the book of John. John writes of those things of which he is an eyewitness, and that indicates that John himself had entered into that judgment hall to witness what went on inside, and not merely those things outside the judgment hall. And the likely explanation for John doing that 
is because he himself had eaten already the Passover feast with the other disciples in the upper room. One of the reasons that this is recorded in the book of John, of course, is to expose, in part, the hypocrisy of the Jewish leaders. Here they are, avoiding the real trial of Jesus itself as it goes on in the hall, having interest really only in the outcome of that trial under the guise that otherwise they would be defiled. The hypocrisy of that is exposed when you consider they were breaking Jewish laws left and right, even while they seemed to have some regard for them and were condemning Jesus under Jewish law. They were, for example, trying Jesus in the middle of the night, which was against explicit Jewish law. They had convicted Jesus of a capital crime when there was no agreement from two witnesses of that crime. They also then convicted Him, finally, on His claim to be the Son of God or the Christ without disproving that claim that He had made. And they confirm that hypocrisy when they present Jesus to Pilate. You will notice, as we read earlier, under His trial of the Jewish leaders, they convicted Jesus of blasphemy. But when they present Him to Pilate, that's not what they charge Him with. Rather, they charge Jesus with being a malefactor. That is, being like Barabbas, being a murderer or a robber and not what they had originally charged him with. That was hypocrisy on their part too. They had delivered Jesus over to Pilate for trial, of course, so that Jesus could receive the extreme form of punishment, which was execution. That wasn't now because Jewish law forbid them from executing Jesus for blasphemy. That was indeed the fitting punishment for the blasphemer under Jewish law. But the reason for that is that they were forbidden by the Roman government from carrying out capital punishment without at least the equal condemnation under the Romans. And that explains the reason they change the charge against Jesus when they bring Him to Pilate. They know full well that Pilate is not going to condemn Jesus to death for a violation of Jewish law, namely blasphemy. He could care less if Jesus blasphemed their God. He would be, however, interested in trying Jesus as a malefactor and condemning Him. And as Barabbas himself showed, the punishment for being a malefactor was death. The importance here, of course, is, as the Heidelberg Catechism shows, that this meant that if convicted by Pilate, Jesus would be executed by crucifixion. Crucifixion was the form of capital punishment that was meted out upon those who were not 
Roman citizens, but convicted of a crime under Roman law. This also, we might point out too, is again that which points out the utter sovereignty of God in all this, because God had made the death on a tree, and thus the cross, the accursed death, which is the way Jesus must die. The chief priests and the elders are not the only ones being hypocritical here at his trial. So also is Pilate, and therein also his own despising and rejection of Jesus is evident. Easily and quite quickly, Pilate becomes convinced of the innocence of Jesus, at least according to Roman law. And yet in the end, because he is afraid of the people and afraid of losing his job, he condemns Jesus to death anyway. No less than four times we read, does Pilate question and deal with Jesus inside the hall and then leaves to go outside and speak with the Jews that have brought him there. First, to find out their charges against Jesus. We read of that in verse 29 of the previous chapter, that they had charged him with being a malefactor according to Roman law, and yet Pilate himself must have not recognized that charge or knew that they had brought him otherwise because he never once questions Jesus about being a malefactor. When he brings when he goes back inside and questions Jesus, all his questions are about being the king of the Jews. Then he goes back outside again to tell the Jewish leaders that he finds Jesus innocent of the charges and is even convinced of Jesus' argument that indeed he is the king of the Jews, but his kingdom is spiritual. His kingdom is not of this earth. And if his kingdom was of this earth, then his servants would have fought to keep him from being delivered over to Pilate. He offers to release Jesus according to custom, and we know from the other accounts that they were given the choice of Jesus or that real malefactor, Barabbas, and they shout, no, not this man. Jesus again goes into the hall and then does so to scourge Jesus, to not only mock him, but we know from other accounts to beat him, to whip him, scourge him, to make him suffer, and then goes outside to present Jesus all bloodied and beaten from the scourging in attempt to placate the jealousy of the Jews, to try to evoke some sympathy, to show that Jesus may indeed be claiming to be the king of the Jews, but his claim was either bogus or completely harmless. And we're told that during the scourging, the rulers whipped up the people so that when Pilate again presents Jesus, they shout, crucify him, crucify him. Then there is the final time when there is the public ruling condemning Jesus in the place called the pavement or Gabbatha, which we know also from the other accounts occurs after Jesus or Pilate hypocritically washes his hands of the blood of Jesus. He knows is innocent, but he is going to shed anyway. Again, that's unjust, hypocritical, and shows his real hatred 
and rejection of Jesus. He knew Jesus was innocent according to the law he claimed to uphold as governor. He beat Jesus simply to serve his own purpose when again he did not deserve it. And his own conscience, we read, fears and even fears the more when he claim, when he hears finally that they've brought Jesus because he claimed to be the Son of God, condemns him anyway. And condemns him only because he's afraid of the more politically powerful Jews. The point of all this is that Jesus is despised and rejected by all these men. He's despised and rejected by the rulers of the church. In fact, that word reject is the word that the Scriptures consistently use for what happened at that trial. We read in Luke 9, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be slain. And Jesus Himself makes that clear, that this is all in fulfillment of Psalm 118, the stone which the builders rejected is the word that Jesus Himself uses in Luke 20, verse 17. The same is become the head of the corner. And the point is, is that exactly because the leaders are office bearers, He is rejected also by the people that they represent. It's not simply that they joined in crying, crucify Him, crucify Him. But they are represented by these elders and by these leaders. He is despised and rejected by Pilate, who not only condemned Jesus, but showed he despised and rejected him in that condemnation. He condemns him to death. Doing so, he rejects Jesus as worthy to live, as worthy of living in human society, worthy of being a citizen in the Roman Empire. His rejection, therefore, also of the world of men that Pilate himself represents. He represents even civilized society, society at the peak of education and learning and commerce and culture. All of it rejects the Jesus, the Christ, and despises Him as the Christ. Not only is Jesus rejected by these men, but He is rejected and despised in preference to other evil and wicked men. That too exposes the real hatred and rejection of Jesus. The Jews choose a vile murderer, an actual murderer, one who actually is rightfully condemned as one unable to live among them rather than Jesus, whom Pilate himself testifies is innocent. They choose the equally vile Roman king who so oppressed them and taxed them and ruled over them that they couldn't wait to get rid of him if they could. And that's how must, how we must also see Pilate too. Pilate shows his highly touted justice is really a sham. That which the Roman Empire holds out as the epitome of the human race and the height of culture, especially the judicial system, is all shown to be a mockery and scam. In the end, he rejects the claim 
that Jesus is the King of the Jews and the Son of God because he prefers rather the accolades of men and fears their threats and warnings. The significance of all this is that it exposes the utter opposition, the utter hatred, the utter rejection of the sinful, ungodly world, and indeed all of natural men. The inability of natural man to receive Jesus as Christ, to receive Him as Savior, to receive Him as the King of the Jews, to receive Him as the Savior from sin and death. This is really the significance of this event that's given by the Holy Spirit as is made plain uh, not long after Pentecost. Not long after Pentecost, the apostles in their preaching cite Psalm 2 as what was going on at that time. Psalm 2, at least the first three verses, reads as follows. Why do the heathen rage, and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder, and cast away their cords from us. In Acts 4, verse 27, in the great sermon of the apostles after Pentecost, they cite this and say, For of a truth, verses thy, against thy Holy One Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together. An obvious reference to Psalm 2. The importance of Psalm 2 is that it does not allow us to attribute this merely to certain individuals, to attribute the rejection and the despising of Jesus to mere individuals like Herod and Pilate. Notice the psalm. Why do the heathen rage? That is, Pilate and Herod were representatives of all the heathen that have ever lived. Why do the people imagine a vain thing? They represent all the people of all the world, in all of time, and of all history. The kings of earth and the rulers took counsel against Him. That is, all the kings and all the rulers of earth at that time and in that place despised and rejected Jesus as the King of the Jews and as the Son of God. That is, they were representatives of the natural, fallen human race apart from Christ. The fallen, natural human being, the natural man, is opposed to any manifestation or revelation of God. And that certainly revelation and manifestation of God even in the man Jesus Christ and have done that 
throughout history. And in whatever form Jesus appears or reveals Himself. That's the point. Herman Hooksmo once said in a sermon that Christ in the judgment was going to ask, going to ask simply one question of all men. What did you do to Christ? And you may scratch your head at that statement and say, well, how would all men know Christ? How would they even know? And yet a passage like Psalm 2 and its interpretation in the New Testament show that in one way or another, all human beings reject God and even reject God in Jesus Christ. That's an amazing thing. That Psalm, Psalm 2 also teaches us that this is willful, deliberate, and rebellious rejection of God that's motivated by their intense hatred, their despising of God in Jesus Christ. It is the heathen raging against God as we read, and His Christ. That is the expression of utter disdain utter hatred in utter rebellion against God. Hatred first manifest in the garden that showed itself in Cain, that manifested itself in the sons of Nimrod in his mighty kingdom, in the stubborn, stiff-necked Israel in the desert, and in all of history. An attempt to overthrow the rule of God in Jesus Christ. Kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and His anointed saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast them away from us. The psalm reads. The psalm too also gives us the reason which is verified at the trial of Jesus under Pontius Pilate. The reason is because God is righteous and condemns the unrighteousness of men. That's why. It explains the choice of both the Jews and Pilate for the vile sinner Barabbas rather than Jesus. It explains the decision of Pilate to condemn Jesus though he knows he's innocent. To condemn Jesus even though his conscience is plaguing him. All of it is explained there. Why? Because the natural man doesn't want his sins exposed. The natural man doesn't want deliverance from his sins. He wants his sins. He loves his sins. He wants his sins to remain in the dark. Jesus Himself pointed that out. It's really fulfillment of what Jesus Himself said. Remember Jesus to Pilate? He asked what is truth. Jesus says, I came to testify of the truth. What's the truth? John three nineteen. He that believeth not is condemned. And this is the condemnation. That light is come into the world. Jesus, of course, is that light. Light is come into the world. And men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. That's the explanation for this contempt and this rejection of Jesus by one and all. That's why Psalm 2 also calls it utter foolishness. The people imagining a vain thing. Scripture elsewhere teaches the same thing. Why is it a vain thing? 
what's going on. Because it's rebellion against God Himself. We sang earlier from this psalm, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. Among men there are none that do understand and seek God. Psalm 14, verses 1 and 3. Or Romans 1, verse 21. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Vain, because God overthrows that rebellion. He sits, we read in this psalm in heaven, and laughs at these feeble attempts, even the killing of His Christ. He overthrows them by giving those who reject Christ what they want. He gives them Barabbas. He gives them Caesar. He says, fine, this is what you want. Let's see where it gets you. Let's see them deliver you from sin and death. Let's see even if you get what you want with these kind of people. The Romans itself says God gives them over to their imaginations, gives them over to their sin. That's God's response to this utter futility of rebellion against Him. He sits in heaven and laughs at it. This trial not only exposes the attempt, but condemns it. It was the condemnation, really, of the entire race of natural man without God. We should always remember that. That's why Herman Hooksma said what he said. The condemnation of man begins, of course, in the garden. And every man is condemned, of course, by his own sin. Every one of his sins is worthy of condemnation. But what the trial of Jesus exposes is the real sin of man, is its condemnation of Christ who comes to deliver man from sin and death. All of his sins are what require that sending of Christ, but also result in the rejection of man in God's Christ. We, however, do not plumb the depths of Psalm 2 or of the trial of Pilate if we do not see that when Isaiah 53 says Jesus was despised and rejected of men, we would exclude ourselves. Jesus was despised and rejected also by us. What's the proof of that? Well, we need to remember what depravity is. Depravity is to be prone to hate God and the neighbor. We first of all do not do justice to sin if we do not see that sin, all sin, every sin, is hatred. It is contempt. It is despising of God and the neighbor. Our sin then, our sin all by itself, is contempt and rejection of God. Whether we are aware that we are also despising and rejecting God's Christ is irrelevant. It's a despising and rejection of God. No man, no man whether he's redeemed or not, no man whether he's regenerated or not, may look at the cross, 
may point the finger at a Pontius Pilate, may point the finger at a Herod, a Caiaphas, an Annas, the Jewish leaders, or the children of Israel sitting there outside that hall and say, those people, those hypocrites, can you believe it? Without pointing the finger at himself. Those words, that condemnation, that condemnation of even the innocent is our sin. It's our essential sin. And we do not know sin. We cannot claim to know sin. We do not know the first thing about sin unless we can draw a line from our sin to, directly to, the despising and rejection of Christ. Prove it further. This is the real horror of those who know exactly who Christ is and claim that He is the Messiah and the Christ. This is the real horror of the sins of the regenerated. If there is a people on earth who know who Christ is, who receive Him as the Christ, believe His claims to what He is, and yet sin, it's us. And what? Those sins now? Those sins now are not a rejection of Christ. That's what they are. And really a more poignant and wicked despising and rejection of Christ than that of the heathen and ungodly. Pilate has a far better excuse than we do. The Jewish leaders have a far better excuse than we do. We rejected and we despised Him. That's the Gospel message here. And why? And this again shows our sins are far worse than those of others. Because even though we know or we claim to know or we confess that our sins are covered by this Christ, that it's His accursed death on the cross that paid for our sins in full and freely and graciously, we still don't like our sins to be exposed. We still prefer the darkness and to hide them in the darkness than to have them exposed to the light. Shame on us. The significance in the second place of this whole event is that it again shows forth the sovereign and gracious character of God in saving us from our sin. The sovereignty of God here ought to be plain. Number one, in the event and significance that was prophesied to us about this thousands and thousands of years ago. In Isaiah 53, verse 3, in Psalm 2, there it is. There it is all laid out plain. How is that? God planned it. The sovereign counsel, sovereign determining counsel of God. That's the teaching of the apostles in prayer for the ad for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel de determined before to be done. Jesus is indeed here showing that He is God and therefore also the King of the Jews that He claimed to be. It's true what He said to Pilate. You could have no power at all against Me except it were given you from above. Verse 11 of chapter 8, 19. It's not true what the Sanhedrin claimed, that he made himself king. That's what they said about him. 
God had made him king. He was God's Christ. He was God's ruler as well as his son. He pointed out also with rejection to the means he must die. Crucifixion. Why is he there before Pontius Pilate? Is it simply that this was Roman law over the Jews? Was it because the Jews wanted him there? Was it because Pilate desired to try him? No. God is in control. God is in charge. Jesus is in charge here. Christ, even as he brought himself to be bound, brings himself to trial and brings himself to trial again and again in this way. And hopefully we see the grace of God here also made plain. If this is what man is, if this is not simply the dregs of Roman society, but the best of Roman society, even its rulers and governors, if this is what not only the malefactors like Barabbas are, but even those who were considered quite something in Jewish society, if this is what you and I are, then it must be the grace of God that makes this work out for our salvation. What this passage makes plain is that there is no man that ever lived, no one who has accepted and received Jesus Christ themselves. That only one in whom God works first, only one whom God regenerates, only one in whom God brings salvation, can love and receive this Christ. Points also, therefore, that God is sovereign in the distribution of His grace. It's going to be quite amazing who does receive this Christ. The apostles witnessed that. Rejected by two of the apostles. And even all flee. One is rejected. Another who denied Him thrice receives Christ. The Jewish people, even among those who could have been crying, crucify Him, crucify Him, were those whom God saved. God is sovereign in the distribution of His grace, in the giving of faith that alone can receive such a Christ. And therein, of course, lies the blessing. The blessing, briefly, and this is something that we have pointed out a number of times that this Latin season is again given to us in the Lord's Supper form. That he, being innocently condemned to death, that we might be acquitted at the judgment seat of God. That he, being rejected of men, and also God for bearing our sins, we might be accepted of God and never forsaken. There's the blessing. And understand what that's saying. It's saying Jesus must be 
despised and rejected of men. There's no other way. And understand what that word rejected means. It means he becomes the reprobate of God. That's what the word reprobate means. The rejected. He becomes that. And he comes that because there's no other way. He must be despised so that we may be loved. He must be rejected so that we may be chosen and received. Bearing those sins, even the sins of despising and rejecting Him, He pays. He pays the sins. Even the sins of despising and rejecting Him. That's the amazing, amazing truth brought out at His trial. Furthermore, the blessing is that He earns the right, therefore, to work within us. And the amazing work within us is He takes those who indeed despise Him and reject Him, and even who continue to despise and reject Him many, many, many times, so that we love Him and receive Him. That's the blessing also. We see something of this even in the true disciples and the members of the house of Israel, don't we? They certainly rejected Christ. They certainly showed that they despised Him. There were certainly those numbered among the elect who cried out, crucify Him, crucify Him, who ran away, who were too embarrassed to show up at the cross, whom He receives, who receive Him. Who not only are loved by God, but being loved by God, they in turn love this one for whom they've showed such contempt. And we see that, of course, in ourselves. We're prone yet to reject Christ. That is what our sin is. If only we could see that. We like to classify sins into all sorts of categories, consider one worse than the other. Or to excuse our sins, justify our sins, and point away from our sins, to hide our sins. But what we ought to do is recognize that all of our sins are a despising and rejection of Christ. That's what they are. And God certainly brings that to us, or He should. He should, if we are indeed His children, and He does, if we are indeed His children. And that, you see, is exactly part of His work in us, so that we learn to hate and despise sin, even to flee from it. That which appeals to our flesh, that where when we would join, where when we would go and join all those, even at the cross, even the Pilots, even the Herods, even the people crying, and learn to see it for what it is and say, I hate, I hate that slander against my brother. I hate that ill will. I hate that bitterness and that grudge that I'm holding in my heart. I hate the fact that I still think evil of God and that He doesn't have my best interests at heart, that He's not treating me fairly. I see that is as sinful as if I cried out at the cross, crucify Him, kill Him. I know He's innocent, kill Him anyway. I know He's the Son of God, but string Him up. No, the Spirit uses that to make us hate and despise sin and then also, conversely, to love Him. 
to receive him, to see him for who he is. And that's why there's power in this story. There's power in this narrative. It's the power of the gospel. And so, so let's celebrate. Celebrate the great gift of faith given to us in regeneration and by faith alone whereby we truly love and receive Him whom we've despised and rejected of men. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father which art in heaven, O Lord our God, we thank Thee for the Holy Gospel. We thank Thee for our Lord Jesus Christ and the great gift of Him. We are sorry, O Lord, for our many sins, all of our sins, which are essentially a despising and rejecting of our Lord Jesus Christ, and are certainly the cause for His being killed on the accursed tree as the great reprobate. And we are thankful, O Lord, for receiving us, for loving us, and sending Him for us and for our sins, and delivering us from the death, the wages of sin. Give us, O Lord, then, true sorrow in our heart for sin and true joy in Thee, our God, in whose name we pray. Amen.